That's right, listeners, and the floodgates of veganism are about to open. So prepare yourselves for Vegan Radio number 61. Wow. <laughs> I feel the flood. That's right. It's dinner time. It's the second Sunday of July. Or third Sunday. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Thursday. It's a vegan radio day. It's not even Sunday. Oh, Thursday. Sunday. <laughs> Who cares? Whatever day it is, you should be thankful. Yeah. Because. Oops. <laughs> oh, trying to cut me out again. I see. See how it is. Sorry so, about the gaff. The gaff? The gaff. That's all right. I got some gaffer's tape. I'll fix it. All right. Today on Vegan Radio, we have uh, Priscilla Farrell with Friends of Animals. And uh, she's going to enlighten us. She's a cookbook author, dining with friends. Cookbook author and uh, also activist extraordinaire. She's got a website. (laughs) 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 And uh, we got any news today, Scotty? Well, we have one or two stories, Derek. Are they Apparently, stories? I would call some of them stories. Okay. Almost. Um, in uh, in the world of meat, the United States uh, Department of Agriculture, USDA, is going to begin uh, including uh, information about the markets where um, tainted meat is sold instead of just... Tainted meat. The manufacturers and oh, the states whoa, whoa, whoa. they were sold in. Apparently, uh, they're going to take advantage of the new information technology available on the entire web uh, to disseminate yet more information to help consumers, if you can imagine, find out more about where uh, problematic uh, meat gets sold and and where the recalls are occurring. Uh, Anywhere that they sell meat, it's problematic, Scott. Yes, well, uh, it's potentially problematic for consumer health, especially with... The number of recalls that have been occurring lately, I guess they feel it's necessary. And also noticing, you know, that they're, they've been kind of slow to move on a lot of things. And so they kind of got called on that. And now, and uh, the fact that they didn't have this information before had been a big issue. So they've really uh, stepped up and they're going to actually, as soon as uh, recalls occur, they're not only going to be able to know uh, what stores to look at, uh, you know, at in order to do the recall, but also um, they'll be able to alert consumers so that they can keep an eye out for the products with the appropriate numbers. Keep your eye out for anything made of meat. Yes. I hate using the word products. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help it, though. It's the language. Uh, Another, uh, in other news, in Canada, a mad cow disease lawsuit is going to be allowed to proceed. The Supreme Court of Canada, this is Is from... uh, Is there a mad cow suing Canada? No, no, this is... um, Well, let me give you a little background. This is uh, from the Canadian Broadcast Company. The Supreme Court of Canada cleared the way Thursday for a proposed multi-billion dollar class action lawsuit on behalf of some 100,000 cattle farmers hurt by the 2003 mad cow disease scare. The country's top court has refused to hear an appeal by the federal government and Winnipeg-based feed company Ridley Canada, which both sought to derail the lawsuit. Uh, As is usual, the court provided no reasons for turning down the appeal application. At issue is whether farmers who suffered economic losses as a result of the 2003 border closure over BSE-contaminated cattle could sue for what they argue was negligent regulatory policy. So this will be a proving ground uh, for, you know, whether or not the government is actually providing the kinds of oversight that they're supposed to do according to their mandate. And if it's uh, this kind of thing gets tested in Canadian law, uh, I mean, obviously we have... uh, Certain, we won't do it. <laughs> we might. I don't know. We'll see. Whatever Canada does, we're perhaps not some do it. enterprising Captain Kirk will pave the way. Here. Captain Kirk. Yes. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of some Canadian expatriate celebrity <laughs> that I can. Is Captain Kirk from Canada? Yes. William Shatner is Canadian. Really? Wow. That explains a lot uh, about him. Does it? <laughs> I, I wouldn't. Know. Know, you know, him and his beady eyes and his flappy head. <laughs> Well, his his uh, musical career kind of is similar to Celine Dion's, I think. Yeah, actually, he's not. He's actually kind of a lot like Alanis Morissette. Not everything you write in your journal is a song, Alanis. <laughs> yeah, this is the time when you're supposed to play that yeah. singing excerpt from the '60s. Cattle farmer Bill Sauer, the reed plaintiff in Ontario, has argued that Ottawa introduced regulations in 1990 that specifically allowed the feeding of cattle parts to other cattle. Specifically allowed it. 
bovine spongiform encephalopathy, which we're getting better at saying every show. <laughs> also known as Speak mad cow disease. <laughs> bovine spongiform encephalopathy. I know, I, I'm an encephalopath. What can I say? It's spread when live animals are fed parts of dead cattle mixed into their largely plant-based feed, usually brains and spinal cord material, which actually, um, that's kind of one of the issues is uh, that stuff was found by uh, people in other countries, and so they banned our meat. Um, so mad cow disease in cattle has been connected to similar illness that has killed hundreds of people all over the world, although not all scientists agree that consumption of beef from animals that died of mad cow disease invariably causes human variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, part of the problem being that it takes so long to uh, develop. The Canadian government didn't explicitly ban the dangerous breed practices until 1997. So it's been uh, 11 years, uh, and now they're going back to apparently 2003 because even when they got it started, they weren't quite uh, on top of it enough. So they're saying negligence. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. We'll be watching. You're here. Yeah. <laughs> Canada, it's a bastion of, of interesting developments. It's in Canada and Spain. It's where all the all hot stuff's happening right now. Well, I, I should get up there then because I am hot stuff. <laughs> you should, man. <laughs> and I'm happening hot stuff. Wow. <laughs> if only we weren't just a radio show. The, what do you mean just a radio show? If only we had the television aspect to show off Derek's hot stuff. Oh, know? well, you're, you must be talking about our future in vegan radio. Right. Vegan radio. Vegan, vegan video. It's coming. We can't talk too much about it. Sooner though. than you know. Our, uh, our, pro- our producers are very, very uh, anxious that we don't give, it vol- give away too much. Our agents. That's right. <laughs> uh, in other news, Al Gore has, is, uh, do you know he goes on speaking tours? I do, in fact. Yeah. And uh, he's on another one. And uh, he's talking about carbon-free electric power, solar power, wind power, wave power, all these various ways uh, that we can, you know, get electricity from nature without um, polluting the environment. Does he talk about vegetarianism? Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking. <laughs> you know, every time I see I the keep, story. I uh, keep waiting. I keep waiting for him to draw on that environmental yeah. connection. No, no not a maybe lot. If we no. could, uh, maybe we could use the power of his denial to uh, run some electrical appliances. I don't know. You guys might find this shocking, <laughs> but, you know, in the mainstream <laughs> culture out there, the word vegan is kind of a scary word. It's getting scarier every day because every time you hear about mm. uh, somebody bombing a you the know truth hurts. animal experimentation clinic or something they get uh what what you know what i'm talking about there ain't no people bombing clinics well we well, know that the media try obviously <clears throat> is trying to paint us in that way yes yeah and even my heroes on on this week in science have like kind of i think you know are just saying you know people who protest and I'm, i tend to agree that people who protest by doing things like you know uh bothering people and Damaging property and stuff. It's kind of crazy. Well, we're moving uh, into the uh, stage of the uh, truth being violently opposed rather than just uh, ridiculed. So it's a good sign. Uh, yes. Let's hope we can get past it and have some uh, dialogue. I mean, this is always what happens when there's not really any, you know, when there's no advocacy or no dialogue or no system set up for people to express themselves. Mm-hmm. They have to act out in these violent ways. Uh so I don't. Know, I guess people feel uh, naturally for animals that they f- they just don't have anyone speaking out for them. They can't speak for themselves, and you know, they try. That's exactly what <laughs> but, ALF uh, members would say. Members. Alf. I see. <laughs> Am I becoming indoctrinated? Is that what's going on? No. Oh, good. I hate that word too, <laughs> and I hate the word hate. Let's not be haters. <laughs> So, let's be lovers. Let's lovers, be lovers on the mountaintop. I'm loving Al Gore. Every every little thing he doesn't say just draws me nearer to his spirit. Well, we'll get Al Gore on board soon, but um, we're going to have to take a little break and try to get Priscilla on the line. Priscilla from Friends of Animals. Excellent. Our featured guest today on Vegan Radio. You're listening to Valley Free Radio. Northampton. Massachusetts. Also on the Pacifica Network and also podcasting worldwide on the World Wide Web.
<laughs> you know it's murder, guys? Oh, never mind. Priscilla. Hello. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Fine. That was our singer for the evening? Yep. Uh, yes. Yeah, we, d- we didn't have Peter Singer, so we had to do it ourselves. <laughs> so how you doing? Okay, thanks. <laughs> how you doing? I've been uh, checking out your profile on the Friends of Animal. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably where it, it reads best. Yeah. Um, I noticed you're in Connecticut. Is that true? Yeah. Are you down, is that near New York City, Darien, Connecticut? Yeah. It's, um, you know, from the train to New York City, it's a 50-minute ride. Oh, that's cool. So we're in a community where a lot of people commute. A commuting and when community. I, I started at Friends of Animals, I started as a commuter um, back in, if you can believe this, 1974. Really? Yeah. That was before computers when you were a commuter. Probably before you were born, right? <laughs> oh, not quite. Oh, good. <laughs> Before Megan was born, maybe. Yes, perhaps. Yeah. So um, we're excited to have you on. Megan uh, got your cookbook you sent her, and she's tried that out. One I, recipe, at I least. did try out one recipe. Really? Yep. It Which was one? The uh, West African peanut soup. Oh, yeah. Yep, it was very, it was fantastic. Good. <laughs> I did a did a I made a few changes, but you know, you, I always use like a recipe as a base, and then I'll throw a couple of things in at the end. Yeah, well, that that's kind of how recipes evolve. You know, when I was putting that one together, I kept trying to figure out if people actually had a recipe that had a copyright or some such thing. And really, you know, who knows what's original, right? Oh yeah, but yes. if you've worked with somebody else's recipe that they say. They developed or arrived at or inherited or some such thing. At least if you improve on it or or throw your own stuff into it, you say that you adapted a recipe from theirs, then everybody feels as though uh, they're part of it. Yeah. Um, With the the first cookbook, I'm working on a second now, um, which will be out, I think, January of 2009. And this one has more input from other people, you know, and chefs and great cooks that I've I've known and, and continue to meet. And it's all really exciting to see their energy brought to a cookbook and trying to make it um, elegant and easy at the same time. Do you have anything from Ken Bergeron? No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> not our, our favorite chef. Oh, good. One of them. He's not? I said, I said, well, you know, you know what I meant to say, Derek. He's a fellow. Connect- Don't try to trip me up on vegan doesn't radio. Doesn't he live in Connecticut? He, he does, doesn't to? he? Or he used to. I at think least. he had something to do with. Um, it's only natural, a, a yeah. restaurant in Middletown that um, was started as a, a vegan restaurant, actually. And then they went bad. Well, <laughs> no. I I love the <laughs> chef there and the owner, you know, Mark Shadel, and um, he's vegan. Yeah, and they're pretty good. They they have some a couple of fish dishes or something. Yeah, that was too bad. Yeah, yeah, it happens to restaurants. They have to sell out to stay in business sometimes. Well, in in this case, I thought Connecticut should reflect more of New York. You know, the the city has probably seventy five restaurants that are vegetarian, and Connecticut is um, 
really uh, lacking uh, yeah. this kind of, you know, culinary progress. So anyway, uh, I'm, a, I'm a foodie. So. You're a foodie. You better get on it. I might be partially responsible because as a vegan, I have to. I, I do so much of my own cooking at home that I, I'm just. I don't go out and dine that often. So you're but part you of the cook? problem. I'm part of the problem, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but not the cookbook problem. Mm-hmm. I can make sure to get plenty of those. Is that something? Would you have you thought about opening a restaurant, or you're, you're going to stick to the cookbooks? Um, well, I thought about it, you know, a long time ago um, before I got into. Friends of Animals as a, you know, a worker. And I, you know, studied cooking um, a couple of years um, in nutrition, and I thought, you know, maybe I'd have a, I really thought I was going to start a pub in West Fork, Connecticut, and literally do kind of a blackboard, you know, and have a number of things written up. And so a limited menu, but it would all be new and fresh every day. And, um you know, didn't do that, and then thought I'd cater, and I realized I don't really want to cook for a living, you know, but mm-hmm. but I do kind of cook to live, <laughs> and um, I love food, but I, I don't want uh, seven days of, you know, preparing it 12 hours or more a day, and yeah, I think it's a lot of work. It's a it's a really tough industry, you know, really tough, and the people that work it, I've got a lot of chefs that are friends now and and I see how hard they work and um I really respect them for that but it I I like uh what I'm doing better and I you know the cookbook was a way to take um my experience you know that goes back a bunch of years of cooking I was brought up in a family where food was um there was a high standard for food you know and when you got home from school there was a bowl of fruit, and if you wanted a snack, it was in that bowl, you know. <laughs> and, and, and there was no such thing of, as having uh, soda. Soda was uh, maybe once a year. Um, so we had to eat vegetables. We grew um, a lot of the produce that we ate, especially in the summer. And um, I learned how to cook because I was around grandmothers and mothers and that made bread and did everything from scratch. And when the apples fell from the trees, we'd rush out and make sauce and um, apple pies and this kind of thing. And I felt competent through cooking, you see. And then through uh, having a family and, and cooking, to me it was a way of, of loving other people and expressing that love. And so it was particularly uh, bizarre in raising my daughter through the 1990s. She was born in 1983. And we're in a community where um, people buy these houses and build them bigger and and have incredible kitchens, but they don't cook in those kitchens. (laughs) And the kids never get made a meal, which is is really incredible. Um, The parents have a lot of money, a lot of disposable income, but um, the art of cooking is, is not practiced in, in these households. And so all my daughter's friends came to eat here. And that's how budding vegetarianism started among, you know, her friends. It, the first time they ever had soup that wasn't in a can was, was over here. Or a dessert wow. that was, you know, made that wasn't packaged or some such thing. Um, so, you know... To me, it's all you know, about to find community. kids that don't like vegetables, usually someone doesn't like a vegetable because the father or the mother doesn't know how to cook one. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth of it. I think people really need to learn how to cook. They need to learn how to take care of themselves and not just rely on um, quick and fast food restaurants for three meals a day. So, and the problem is this culture does, for the most part, Breakfast, they don't even know how to make coffee at home. People eat out all the time, and they eat. That's garbage. an important skill to teach your kids. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> if my parents had taught Drink me your coffee and do your to homework. make coffee earlier in my life, I could have achieved a lot more. Derek. <laughs> He's joking. He's joking. That's right. Not really. Priscilla. 
Priscilla, uh, I have I have a question for you. You have so a question already? I, I do already. Um, well, or more of a statement, I guess, that um, it, I guess it wasn't too much of a hard transition to veganism then because you grew up working like with a lot of whole foods in your family, it sounds like. Um, it, it wasn't hard to imagine tackling it as a, as a diet, true. I mean, I could figure out the nutrition. I could figure out how to cook it. What, you know, in, in truth, what I had to get uh, uh, sprung from was the idea that I needed eggs. Eggs? Yeah, because I, as somebody who liked baking, I really didn't see that um, I wanted to lose eggs. You know, oh. I, I wanted them for the qualities that they lend to baking. And I had to learn how to cook without them and how to also not care um, whether I had them. And so that was the biggest leap for me. It was just a discipline of having to sacrifice something and learn how to do it and do it as well, if not better, in, in some realms. I'm a junkie for a lot of food shows on, on television and I see these great chefs, you know, that are, some of them, like Gordon Ramsay, who's so talented and so crass and obnoxious at the same time. And this person like is defensive about vegetarianism. You know, he's defensive probably um, because he, he doesn't feel um, qualified to produce food that would really be vegetarian. Otherwise, why resist it with such ire? You know, so the, the trend out there, unfortunately, and this comes from some groups that are marketing this idea that we can reform animal agribusiness and we can make lives better for animals and we can still consume them, um, or that there's some kind of status in eating the, the flesh and products of animals. You know, the culture is not necessarily going in the right direction. It's going in the opposite direction. Well, that's what I'd like to start talking about. I think that uh, humane meat is hogwash. <laughs> hogwash? Where'd you get that word? Hogwash. Yep. Rigmarole. <laughs> What's all the hullabaloo about? <laughs> well, then you're, you're out of step with a lot of the mainstream animal groups. Yeah, well, that's, that's a problem that our movement's facing right now, and I'm glad you brought it up because I know that's something that uh, you talk about a lot on your website and I imagine on yep. your other activisms. You've written some uh, letters to the publisher, publishers of Veg News even. Um, we did. You know, we were on an advertising contract and I felt that, you know, we were certainly offering a support system and a commitment to the magazine. And they did kind of a 30-year history, they thought, of who contributed to vegetarianism or some such thing, and um, I thought it was a—I thought it was really pitiful, to tell you the truth. <laughs> and we wrote a letter, and and there was a letter sent back, and and the advertising was, you know, canceled. But hogwashing, that you know, Lee Hall wrote a, an article about this. It talks about selling animal products at a premium. You know, that's not sustainable, and whether you're you're addressing this issue from an environmental uh, standpoint or from um, the position of principles and respect, um, you can't possibly uh, tell uh, a movement that's supposed to be championing um, respect for animals and and an attitude of respect toward free living animals that we can support animal agribusiness, somehow regulate um, the slaughter and the living conditions and the breeding conditions of these animals and continue to, to eat uh, the flesh of chickens and the bodies of baby sheep and, and pig meat and what have you, and, um, you know, write our checks to the HSUS and uh, say that this is some victory of sorts. This is thinking that is um, worse than 50 years old. You know, in, in the 1970s, in the mid-70s, the first expose on factory farming um, was done at, at Friends of Animals by Jim Mason when he worked for us. 
and uh, this is somebody I knew well. Um, at the time, I was going out with him. I oh, got the job at, at Friends of Animals through knowing him as an attorney and a, as a very good friend. And what the Factory Farming expose, the slideshow, the eventual book, our pamphlet, all of these things at the time, but it was only, you know, 1976, say, it stopped short of the slaughterhouse door. They never walked through that door. And it was also thought that most of the huge farms could be addressed by talking about what happened to animals that, that were commodified there. Uh, today, what has progressed from that? You've got people at major wealthy humane societies that have factory farming directors, uh, program directors, who champion an initiative in California and they have a, an ad out now for an event next week where they have actually a pig with a party hat on and a little veal calf and a, a hen that looks like it's having the time of its life. And they call it a barnyard soiree and that people should come and, of course, you know, make a contribution and help get this ballot initiative passed. And we could all go back to, eat, to eating animal flesh and call it a victory for animal welfare or some such thing. I mean, this is really deplorable. It's immoral, and it's a fraud. And I think it's high time that people begin to understand who can get the rights and who can't. And the barnyard animals can't. The problem is they're bred into existence. You know, once you create them and you put them through that systematic abuse, there isn't any way the end of the line can be decent or respectful. And yet the groups that are entrenched in that ballot initiative, and they include Neiman Farms, a rancher that has gone to the HSUS conference a year ago and paid a hefty fee to appear there and to talk to the audience, and they want to tell people they name all these animals, and then eventually those animals are dead and there's a profit from it. I mean, what in the world has happened to animal advocacy that this goes on and that if you challenge it, there is an uproar over it? Well, I guess what I wonder is, what is the, what is the end of the road? Um, is there, if you want to get laws changed and get, say, the entire world to realize that we have a kinship with these animals and, right. uh, and to really wake up to that in a very real way, uh, that's how we, if we're going to get laws passed and changed, you have to win people's well, hearts and minds. You know, I'm not sure that you have to raise any money for a campaign or have any kind of costly governmental measure to bring personal commitment to bear. You know, sure. and that, that's a matter of persuading people to be vegetarian. We don't need a ballot measure for that. You can withdraw support from animal agribusiness. That's your option. It's mine, right? Yep. It's what you educate over. It's what you agitate about. But all of these costly campaigns attempt to get people to think that animal agribusiness can be reformed. We don't have to abolish it. We all know that's not going to happen in our lifetimes. So let's go that way instead. And it leaves the rest of us who are trying to address vegan principles looking as though we're just a very sour bunch of purists who don't have the possibility of inspiring anyone to change. And I don't believe that. So what we need to do is get people to go vegan. And, uh, right. And when we're putting our energy into getting um, more humane farm situations, standards, uh, it's not helping the goal of getting people to well, go you're vegan. Not getting, you're not getting hens out of the racket. You know, I've, have you been, um, there's a place in Massachusetts, I don't know whether they still do tours, but it was like one of these nest egg places in Hubbardston, Massachusetts. And some years ago, if you bought this carton of eggs, they'd say, call us and we'll give you a tour. Well, I went up, and I had a guy telling us outside the big warehouse that we were going to tour that they've gone back to the ancient way of raising hens, and they've taken away the stress, and they're giving a proper diet, and that their research showed that it actually lowered cholesterol and egg. Now, you know, that's all bunk, right? But you go into those warehouses, 
and you see, first of all, those hens that are female, the, the male chicks are all killed, whether or not they're in one system or the other, right? But yeah, the, the hens check the that dumpsters? are living have a life of 70 weeks. That's it. That's the end of the line. And I pointed out to the manager that some of the animals I saw, the uh, hens were dead, um, and he went in and had them removed. But it was like a flock of 1,500 birds together. And I'd say each warehouse held about 7,500 hens, an absolute sea of them. I don't think there was a half inch between one hen and the other. They were almost piled on top of each other. And the same scenario played out in the Amish country, where I toured a bunch of places there that were touted as cage-free, free-roaming hen operations. You know, these eggs are now being channeled into college cafeterias by animal welfare groups as though nobody can live without these eggs. So part of the problem is that, that the larger groups get money from their uh, community or whatever you want to call it, and so they, they have these campaigns that are winnable in some ways and that once they win this, it, it makes them look good and so they can get more money. Well, you're, you're absolutely right about every single part of that except for the first part, and that is they don't need to make the money. If you're talking about the Humane Society of the United States, once you've got more than $200 million that's in cash sitting in a bank, I reject the idea. Well, obviously they don't. The Humane Society is, uh, yeah. The idea that they need to just operate like bankers is, you know, in my mind, a pretty corrupt idea. Sure. You're right that it does look like a campaign that's winnable, it makes people feel good. The problem is, if you're trying to inspire a social justice movement, it doesn't really bring any change to animals. Right. So, you know, fewer hens aren't exploited because they've won their campaign and they've got a whole host of new members or something. You know, it doesn't do a thing for animals. Right. Well, the basic problem is that animals are commodities and they have no rights. And, uh, and, and as the long ones as that there's are a demand the, for them in a capitalist system, right, the, they're the going to be... the food system don't need to exist at all. Right. It's not that you need to regulate them or protect them. You just need to stop breeding them into existence. And if we do that, you're going to see um, more acknowledgement of the animals that really ought to be sharing the earth with us that are, are wiped out systematically by an arm of government called Wildlife Services. They're an agency of the USDA. And what they do is they shoot and trap and poison some 3 million animals a year at the behest of ranchers. So they're knocking off coyotes and badgers and lots and lots of birds and wolves and raccoons, any animals that are in the way of cattle ranchers. Wild horses are rounded up, and eventually they're sent through a a system uh, of abuse, through privatization. That's because those horses compete with with cows for water and grasses. But you've got an animal protection field that very rarely now defines which animals can have rights, which means freedom from intrusion, you know, the right to live on their own terms, Those are the wild, free-living indigenous animals that are being compromised and sacrificed because of animal agribusiness that you've got, you know, a a racket uh, cooperating with, becoming the agents for. So I think think this scenario really is deeply troubling. Sure. Well, even to get these protective systems in place, you need a change of... Uh, I think on the scale of people waking up to the rights of slaves and the rights of women, and you know, it's uh, right. it's people are always you know quick to want to distinguish between humans and animals because of our perceived superiority, which of course we're doing the perceiving, so I guess that makes us the best to, to choose. But the uh, <laughs> the the situation is really very very dire because there is there really isn't a lot of compassion or concern or you know, and they you don't even have to you you know dehumanize them because they're not human, so. Because it, there's a misinformation campaign. 
Yeah, I don't think dire. I don't think the problem is that people are all so insensitive. I think you've got the groups that make the most racket um, uh, getting the wrong message out over and over and over again. Yeah, when you hear about the Amish uh, being under such economic pressure that even their cynicism is so great that they, they do this to animals, I mean, what hope is there for most of us who don't really think about morals or, mm-hmm. you know, on an everyday basis? Well, and the, and the, uh, the part of the big problem of all these other groups doing this, you know, it you know, whether or not getting laws passed that make uh, the, the animals' slaves' lives a little more cozy or not, um, it's it's giving people who are on the edge thinking about their ethical choices, you know, whether eating right. animals is ethical, and they might be leaning more towards going vegetarian, but then, right. then they hear that, you know, PETA is giving Kentucky Fried Chicken all these accolades for gassing chickens instead right. of slitting their throats right and uh and they and they say oh well i can i can eat meat humanely right. why should and the, i go vegan and then vegan? they camp it up by sending a couple of 20 something year old females up with lettuce outfits yeah you know well, that's, bikinis that's made a whole out of lettuce so that can of worms you're not really there. focused <laughs> on all that well it's all stupidity but you're not focused on how insane it is that the so-called world's most famous animal protection group um, is trying to uh, be the animal control agency for the slaughterhouse, right? They're going to regulate yeah. how the animal ends its life. They, they send in the clowns. You know, they send in the, the 20-something-year-old females with only a first name in a little lettuce bikini so that... You know, whatever germ of activity you had in your head to begin to decipher, wait a minute, something doesn't look right here, um, then you're distracted with this uh, sexist thing. Yeah, and we're alienating a whole, uh, the whole segment of people who, you know, are fighting for women's rights. And, mm-hmm. you know, those are people we need on our side. We need all the, all the people fighting for, against the oppression of humans to make the connection that it all starts with how we treat animals, and and that gets passed up to how we treat other humans. You know. Oh, well, I think I think you're right. I think you know, if we've got to recognize human rights, and before you can expect um, non-human rights to be taken seriously. Yeah. So it's not enough to throw the words around. You know, it it helps when people actually um, have some experience in in a civil rights or uh, human rights-based uh, group or, or work, you know, what inspires you to do this work? It's got to be something more than you're just an antisocial person that can only get along with your cat, you know. So let's talk about um, solutions as far as what your group is doing, what other groups uh, you feel are doing doing the right thing, and how, how we can uh, try to get the animal mm-hmm. rights movement as a whole onto the right track? Well, I think, you know, I've, um, I've long been a, a friend of uh, Brad Miller at Humane Farming Association in California. And I'm not saying that, you know, Brad and I have identical approaches to this work. We don't. But Brad tells the truth. And Brad has seen um, the failings of, of these ballot initiatives and has, you know, been independent of this big wave of activity. And I give him credit for that. Um, he understands that, you know, we don't have a veal crate industry in California. It was driven out years ago. So it's dishonest to tell people that if they support that ballot measure in California, they're going to drive veal crates out of California. And that's what HSUS and Farm Sanctuary are telling people. They're going to end the veal crate industry. It, it's over, guys. You know, it's, it ended years ago. And that was mostly from Humane Farming Association's work. Um, but uh, Jenny Stein, and, um, who is a filmmaker, and James Levesque, I think, are doing some very important work. Uh, did they just they just came out with a new website about this whole yep issue. about humanemyth.org humanemyths.org mm-hmm. yep and i think they should be credited for that and also 
um, the founders of the, the vegetarian society, both in England and North America, um, really saw vegetarianism as an ethical commitment. So the group, um, like Jenny and James's and others that are addressing the ethics of veganism, in other words, acknowledging that it's more than a diet, that um, we have to talk about uh, dominating animals, our role and our traditions of doing that, how to step away from that, how to analyze it, how to get other people to change their behavior. Um, this is the work, I think, of a vegan movement. And me, you know, I, I love to come up with recipes and feed people and come up with more uh, cookbooks, but we have a new website called Vegan Means, and on this website, it's really a how to do it, why do it, who's doing it, and, and where to do it, meaning the restaurant guides we put out. Um, we're going to be cultivating a community of people uh, through this extensive website. And Is we that also um, have dot, dot .com, dot .org? It's, um, if you go to the friendsofanimals.org site, you can click right onto it there. Oh, yeah, it's .com. And Vegan Views is a discussion list that we started uh, about two years ago. And I guess there are 437 subscribers, I noticed today. And there, I think it's a, a safe place, really, for people to be talking about what you're talking about tonight. You know, trying to analyze what makes sense, what doesn't, um, and how they can find a community of people like them to organize with. Now, how about um, vegan outreach? Do you think what they're doing? They seems like they're handing. You know, their their focus is to get people to go vegan. I I think that the reputation they have is that that's their focus, but I I think their literature has really suffered over the years. Really? You know, it's weakened. It, it uh, has kind of an um, uh, unsympathetic view toward uh, identifying uh, products that are vegan. It says, you know, don't make a big deal about it. Don't be a pain in the neck. When you go out, don't hassle the, the wait staff. I mean, what's hassling the wait staff? You know, if you want to know what you're putting in your mouth, right? Right. Um, it, it's good to ask, and... And the chefs I know tell me they enjoy hearing when they're vegetarians in the in the uh, restaurant and that they want you know a vegan meal and it challenges them to to go to the management and say, "Look, we do have customers like this. We really ought to get it on the menu, or we ought to consider their dining habits too." Um, I think uh, you know vegan outreach has has uh, been co-opted a bit, and I'm. You know, I'm not saying I was ever a fan because they <laughs> were were kind of had kind of a competitive attitude toward us. But uh -uh. Um, I think their literature is confusing. Right. Well, you're a tough customer. Priscilla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should uh, spearhead uh, all these organizations. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys do you guys have any kind of pamphlets like that? Because I, I I really I think. I think they have what they have right is, you know, they have all these activists going to campuses and, you know, handing out these things. You, and really... I agree with you that we need to hand stuff out. We've got um, a vegan starter guide that okay. is um, a bunch of pages, 12 or more. It has also includes some of the recipes that are in the cookbook. Um, but we're happy to make that pamphlet available to people for distribution. Colleges okay. anywhere. Well, we we have a vegan bus project where we're going to be going around to really? events and uh, handing out stuff. So, where are you going to go? Um, everywhere, right? Right now, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to travel the world, Priscilla. Yeah, we're putting really? pond. Well, it's we we have to get the vegan or boat. What? You've got a... Um, it runs on vegetable oil, actually. Yay! Used vegetable oil. And, Good uh, for you. Yeah, and we're we're going to well, we're actually going to Farm Sanctuary for their hoedown. Uh -huh. Don't tell anybody, Priscilla. <laughs> you you want to hand out our vegan starter guide there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I sure do, I do have Gene Bauer's ear, so I could I okay. Could, I could go tell him the ear. Well, I, I and I'm not sure he'll appreciate it, but if you make the overture, that would be grand. 
Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think I, I have mixed feelings about Farm Sanctuary because I think that, you know, they do spend a lot of time trying to get people to go vegan as well. Um, but what's also hard, too, is, I mean, you know, we want to work together. It's like we want to have our... Yeah, we our, don't want to... want to build power we need, together. We need to bring the movement together, but get the focus on getting people to go vegan rather than... you, you got to bring it together um, with principles right. and with values and with cultivating respect. And and that means that there's got to be an end to having it both ways. You can't hold all positions at the same time. Right. You know, that that's the truth of it. Back in, you know, Peter Singer um, has a, a letter out um, on his, his letterhead to the head of Whole Foods, you know, back in January 2005. And he got a list of some 17 groups and included PETA and Farm Sanctuary and HSUS, saying that they expressed their support for what they he called a pioneering initiative taken by Whole Foods, the setting farm animal compassionate standards. Now, I'm telling you, I don't actually know what that means, but okay. it, it made a ton of money for Whole Foods. And there were a lot of bodies in that store and in all his stores that have brought this so-called vegan CEO a fortune. Um, I think it's a disgrace that any sanctuary or animal advocacy group would sign a letter like that. That's a disgrace. That's not what they should be organized to do. You don't make it more palatable for somebody to, to buy duck flesh or cow flesh or pig flesh or the bodies of baby sheep. You don't do that. You don't give it your blessing. You don't say it's decent. It's indecent. And when Peter was interviewed by Sacha magazine before it went belly up, he actually said to the person interviewing that he was giving friends of animals, now I'll just quote him, the finger for opposing this letter. Really? I, now, if that's our so-called... Shame on you, Daddy Peter. of the animal welfare movement or some such thing. Yeah, he's gone you know, wayward. We need some new leaders, okay? You need some new people, unless you want to lead yourselves, and I'm all in favor of that. Oh, come on, they're just trying to fire things different, up. <laughs> different. Because that, that direction may be worth a fortune, but it's not going to help a single animal from being bred into a system of abuse. Yeah. And ultimately having its life ended in a slaughterhouse. And if we can't talk about that truth, then the movement needs to be started again. Well, I, th- I think change is coming, and, and uh, there's there's a lot of people that are starting to wake up to this in the movement. I think uh, we just need to reach out to them and, uh, and get, get some momentum going. And get some people to, it sounds like you've got, you know, minds that are open and, and that you're finding your way with this to to begin to talk openly. Yeah. It has to be a number of voices, not just one organization's voice. Yeah. We need we need a lot of organizations right. on board. Right. <laughs> and organization. Right. Organization of the organization. But you have to have you have to find groups that have the moxie to stand up to the couple that have gotten so wealthy and so big, and that's um, a tall order. Well, Priscilla, we're out of time now, but uh, we're uh, we'll be in touch with email, and I'd definitely like to get some of uh, your brochures to hand out Great. on our Just bus. Just let me know how many, and we'll ship them right off to you. And uh, we'll hopefully have you on again in the future. And we're definitely going to keep this topic alive in our future shows. There's a lot of. Uh, a lot of other oh, people to talk to about it. We so. like your no-nonsense style, Priscilla. <laughs> oh, you know, I think it, it took a lot of courage for you to even bring it on, you know. So oh. thank you very much for that. We ain't afraid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, thanks a lot for being on the show. And You're most welcome. We'll talk to you soon. Be well. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, there it is. Explicitly and here stated. it is. Kicking some butt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I mean, hey, you know, we're on the air every other week and we're talking to who we don't even know who's out there. Who's Somebody out there? write us, call us. Uh, <laughs> Have and, you gone um, vegan yet? That's and, what I want to uh, know. 
you know, so we're, we're not exactly sure. Sometimes our target audience feels like, you know, a bunch of t- folks who are thinking about maybe, you know, and then sometimes I wonder if we aren't just preaching to the choir. Mm. Well, we're, we're definitely preaching to some of the choir, but, uh, you know, got to preach. You got to start somewhere, Scotty. Yeah, we're trying to build a spirit. I understand. So let's uh, say goodbye to our listeners here. Oh. The vegan bus is going to the Farm Sanctuary Hoedown, and that will be the weekend of August 1st. Um, go to theveganbus.com to find out more about that if you want to get on board. We're going from uh, Northampton on Route 90 all the way through Massachusetts and through New York to Syracuse. So anywhere along that way, we can pick you up. Just stick your thumb out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Just listen for the sound of the moving bus. The crazy drivers. And what else? That's about it. We're going to be back in two weeks. There's a fifth. We're we're on the first, third, and fifth Thursdays at 7 o'clock locally. So if you're local, tune in again. And uh, there is a fifth Sunday this month. So we're going to have the fifth Sunday. And then we'll be on a week later on the first uh, Thursday. Yes. What is today? (laughs) (laughs) My goodness, man. I think you might have had a stroke. Just a small one. (laughs) Stroke of genius, Scotty. Sunday is Thursdays all of a sudden. Yeah, well, I don't ever know what day it is. Tell me me about those grapes in your refrigerator. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that means. Those are cherries. Uh, Okay. I think we'll be signing off. I guess you're you're all right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Up next is Seeing Red. Is that what it is? Seeing Red. And you won't be seeing Tony, but you'll be hearing him. And uh, we're seeing red here at Vegan Radio. <laughs> oh, vegan. Never!